I'm not a 12 round fighter. Look at me. I'm a new breed of heavyweights. All them heavyweights, Mike Tyson, Sonny Liston, Jack Dempsey. Oh yeah, you don't throw combinations like Rocky Marciano. Cause I ain't 14 stone, that's why. I'm 18 stone, I'm heavy. It's hard work. This guy here is a phenomenal talent. We're gonna cheer for him three times. Well, how many belts you got now, bro? Five. But now, anybody else? The Ring Magazine and the WBA Super, I think. What's he doing here? I don't care about strong, I have to have skills. And he threw them down. Skills in boxing. Why? You're not strong. How did you beat him? I'm not sure his team understood it. If you knew my story, you would understand the passion. I ain't no amateur boxer from five years old that was an elite prospect from a youth, bro. I was going to jail. I see some high local youths in Reading jail. I got bail and I started training my ass off. Because if I got sentenced, I wanted to be able to fight. I bust my case. But cousin Benga, where's he at? G14, raise your hand. Hey, welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where wounds are being licked, egos are being stroked, uh, comebacks are being plotted and schemed, I, I imagine. But yeah, we're a, week, we're a week hence from the mess that was Usyk Joshua 2. And all we can say is it's gone exactly like we thought it would. You know, I think there have been three key themes, haven't there? So we had the first wave, which was preservation of value right so let's not let the perception of Joshua crash through the floor and then the second element was you know the whispers coming out the camp so suddenly now we realize it wasn't as harmonious as we're always led to believe in the build-up to a fight and then now now we're into this third phase now the point where Joshua resurfaces and he does the I've gone back to the past to look forward and all this sort of nonsense but none of that's going to help him what we saw last weekend, and we can all agree on this, is we saw a guy that we don't believe is at the heavyweight top table anymore. And then we go back and we think, was he ever there? Or is this what we were told to believe? And let's not underestimate the human need to be told what to do and what to think. Because I look at Joshua and I go, you're 24 and 3. 24 and 3. Um, I don't think David Hay got to his third defeat until probably the first Bellevue fight, right? If I'm wrong on that, cool. But I'm, I'm right within one fight. And yeah, that's not a great win, but he, he popped his Achilles, so it's understandable. The worrying thing about Joshua's three losses will always be that they shouldn't have been three losses if you believe the marketing spin, none of those should have been a loss. The worrying thing on top of that should be, had he fought the people we wanted him to fight, that record might be a lot worse. It might be 24 and six, 24 and seven, because you got to look, Matchroom loved the, the two fight deal. So if a, 
a pre-Wilder Ortiz had fought Joshua twice. At best, they go one and one. So that's another defeat. Um, Joshua fighting a pre-Fury Wilder, I think, loses both of those fights. So that's three defeats you can already chalk up to him. And if he had fought a post-Depression Tyson in his comeback, that's probably another two defeats. So Joshua's record, as much as it's a 24-3, and three, it's also padded in the sense that he's managed to avoid people who would have given him more losses. If, if the aim is to preserve Joshua's economic value, it means you've got to throw him in tough. And if you're throwing him in tough, I think he, he bats 500. He'll win as many as he loses. That's not a bad thing, by the way. But can his ego take that? Can Eddie Hearn's ego take that? And also, can Eddie's ego take the reality that none of these big fights have to happen on the zone anymore? None of them have to happen on the zone. And so this was the problem that kind of bubbled up from Sunday, from what I'm hearing through our loyal listeners through Monday and Tuesday, where the DAZN brass were like, hold on. If Joshua's lost and if Golovkin beats Canelo, what does this mean for what we're going to do? Because there are no big fights. In fact, even if Canelo were to beat Golovkin, what's his next big fight? And this is assuming you don't want to put him in harm's way. And what I mean by that is you want to get him killed. So Baturbia has got to be off the table for now, at least. So it's a rematch with Bivol, right? No one knows who Bivol is. No one particularly cares. Harsh reality, but Bivol doesn't move the needle outside of people who sit on boxing Twitter. So where does Canelo go next? If he fights Charlo, Charlo's not going to fight on the zone. So once again, Canelo's got to go off platform. So what's the point? What's the point in having Canelo as an asset if all of his meaningful fights happen off platform? You know, he unified at 168 off platform. Um, if he beats Triple G, he'll probably have to go off platform to get some middleweight respect or some super middleweight respect, he'll have to go off platform. I mean, so none of this makes sense. When you look at it from an Eddie Hearn perspective, I can see why DeZona asking Eddie, how has this gone so wrong so quickly? Whoever they bring Joshua back against, and like I said, if you want to preserve value, Joshua's got to go in tough. Not perception tough. Not we can con the casuals tough. Tough as in... This is a name that appeals to both sides of the line, hardcore and casual. That doesn't leave you many options. Yeah, you can put him in with the Hergovic. Hergovic is slow and one-paced enough that you can do that, but that's an unfulfilling win because Hergovic isn't the guy the fans are looking at right now. Ortiz has passed it. I can see them trying to make the Ruiz fight again. Wilder's off the table because, like I said, it's an off-platform fight. Fury's off the table. It's an off-platform fight. Even if he held on to a promotional deal with Usyk, no one cares enough about Usyk outside of the boxing bubble for him to be viable. So DeZona quite rightly looking at this, going, who's going to drive subscriber growth? Like, this, this feels very much like the boxing depression is about to happen. We're not about to happen. I think it's happening already. What we haven't seen is boxing fall off a cliff yet. But how far are we from that, really? Not very far. So, that, so yeah, so DeZone have been asking tough questions because what you've got to do is you've got to readjust all your models. Oh, Joshua's lost. Oh, 
okay, how quickly can you get the belts back? Uh, there's a unification that needs to happen. All, all the sanctioning bodies want the money from the unification. So definitely not this year and definitely not in the first half of next year. Because remember, Joshua can't fight. Well, he fought Klitschko and Klitschko came up for loss. They can't put him up the rankings off a loss, surely. That would be the, the ultimate demonstration of corruption. So they have to get Joshua in for a win, a cosmetic win. So who do you put him in with? I can imagine what they'll do. This is my theory now. They'll dig up Otto Wallen and they'll say, look, we had a deal for you to fight Dillian. Let's resurrect that. We'll have you fight Joshua. And then Hearn will spin it and he'll say, look, this is a guy who really should have beaten Tyson Fury because the ref let the fight go on with a cut that would have been stopped had it been anybody else. That's the spin you're going to get with Otto Wallen. Joshua's going to come out and say, yeah, I beat him in the amateurs, but he's got better. That's what you hear. Yeah, I beat him in the amateurs. He's got better. Can I still do it? He's a Southpaw as well. Can I conquer the Southpaw jinx? There'll be all of that sort of marketing spiel, but we know Otto Wallen's he's not who we want to see Joshua in against. You're not going to elevate Joshua's reputation by fighting Otto Wallen. Harsh reality, but true. And DeZone aren't going to be, you know, falling over themselves over that fight. They're just not. Because those guys know Joshua's miles away from the world title picture now. And if Canelo were to lose, he might be miles away from the world title picture as well. And where does that leave Eddie Hearn? It leaves him where we thought he was, with a stable that doesn't make any sense and a stable that hasn't got that much star power. But then where does this all leave Joshua? Because I don't know if anyone's seen it. He's, he's posted something up. He was back at Finchley, supposedly. And, oh, this is where it all began, but this is not where it's going to end and all this sort of nonsense. You know, we've got, still got so far to go. You know that, that, that sort of contrived message that you know he didn't write. And let's just call it what it is. We've, we've discovered this over the last probably the last few days, if not the last few years. Josh is a guy who's too stupid to listen to, but he's too lucrative to ignore. And that's the, that's the dilemma people have. You know when he speaks, he's going to embarrass himself. So that's why he speaks in cliches and platitudes and all that sort of nonsense. Because he knows that if he lets his mind wander, he'll just hang himself and he'll confirm what we all know. But he's so lucrative that people will just sit there jaws on the floor taking it all in you saw it with spencer oliver hula hooping you know like hero worshiping anthony joshua cringeworthy really is cringeworthy but how do you describe aj i describe aj as the sort of guy that when you're planning a move in whatever walk of life was you always plan if you're planning a little move joshua had to be the lookout because that was probably the limit of his capabilities he could look, observe, calculate a threat and whistle. And even then you'd have to give him strict guidance on what he can and can't do. He's just not the sharpest tool in the box. And that sort of taps into that lack of self-awareness and delusion that he thinks that what he has to say is of meaning. He walked into that ring, if you think about it, he walked into that ring like he was Sylvester Stallone in Rocky IV. Like he was going to solve the, the Ukraine-Russia conflict in one speech. And everyone's all looking like, hey, Rocky was a movie. <laughs> what level of delusion do you have to have? The guy, oh man, just two short planks, really. That's the only way to describe him. But what does he do now? Okay, you go back to Finchley. And you were at Finchley before. 
You kept telling us you were at Finchley before. That's why they've got the AJ Boxing minibus. You're at Finchley. Why is this you doing something different? Why? It's not. What it is, is the realisation that he doesn't know what to do. And the thing is, when you're too dumb to know what to do and too ignorant to listen to those who may know, you end up in a position that Josh was in, where the whispers start coming out the camp. You know, he, he was too dictatorial. He controlled everything. You know, he trained too much. People told him to rest. He didn't want to rest. And so people are now saying, was he, was he overcooked in that fight? No, he just wasn't good enough. And there's nothing you can do about that. Some people are just better than you. I think the worst aspect of it hasn't necessarily been the secret whispering, which is happening right now. And, you know, it filters back to my, my WhatsApp inbox. But it's more Robert Garcia. So from what we heard, Robert Garcia had been working with Joshua for a while. Right? It's not like he showed up in the last month of camp. I think this has been a relationship from earlier this year. So they've had at least six months. He already fought Usyk. And we knew after the first Usyk fight, Joshua shouldn't be aiming for a 12-round decision. That was never going to work. We were saying he has to get it done inside six or he doesn't win. And that's all of your lay people. These aren't even people with PhDs in boxing. They all knew that. Robert Garcia, he must have known that. So why would you come back and say he started the attack too late? You're in the damn corner. You're meant to tell him when to start the attack. That's what he's listening out for. What is the signal for me to really attack this guy? My suspicion is it never came and he decided to take matters into his own hands in round nine. But by then he was too tired to see it through. Once again, he sat there going, I can't even trust my own corner right now. And so he's there and he's moaning and he's talking about what happened with Joshua afterwards and Joshua's talking about, I want to fight again as soon as possible. Some people are too proud for their own good. And this is when you've got someone who, who's so deluded and lacks so much self-awareness that he can't even realize, mate, no one wants to see you for a while until you get your head together because if it really is a mental health crisis which is what Eddie Hearn was trying to imply in his press conference okay take the time off take the time off but if you tell us you're fighting again in November December then that's not a mental health crisis don't care what anyone says and so Roberto Garcia is now briefing the media I think it's Ellie Sack back who he's briefing because you remember in the old days, you'd, you'd hear him talk on these Ellie Sekback interviews. And you always thought Robert Garcia was a nice guy and he knew his boxing. And the first time we see him tested and we can benchmark him, he fails the test. He, he resolutely failed the test. Because Joshua shouldn't have been trying to fight for 12 rounds. And he said that himself. I'm a 12-round fighter. I'm 18 stone. So... If he was saying that, why did this corner let the fight go so long? Why wasn't the camp about him being a six-round fight? I don't know. None of this makes sense. Who's calling the shots? And so going back to Finchley is not going to fix anything. Going back to where it all started. 
you know, this motherfucker thinks he lives in a movie, doesn't he? You know, oh, I'm going to plan this. It's going to be really cinematic. I'm going to go right back to where it started and rebuild. No, you idiot. You've done that before. What you need now is to sit down with someone you trust, maybe a McCracken and go, what's going wrong? And act on that. Do something new. Because I can't see where the big wins are going to come from with Anthony Joshua. Because what happens is when you've got three defeats in your last five and the two wins, one was from running away, one was against a guy who was probably 95. You can't build self-esteem and self-confidence based on that, especially when you call yourself a warrior. And that's what Robert Garcia called him. He's a warrior for wanting to fight again. I'm like, no. He had, he had 12 rounds to prove he was a warrior. And people keep talking about this round nine. Go back and watch the sequence in round nine. You tell me how many punches Anthony Joshua missed because I counted a lot. That's what they never fixed. Joshua's got no accuracy. He just genuinely believes if he hits you hard anywhere, he'll land. He has no accuracy. And what he tried to do was con the ref and go, if I throw enough shots, the ref will stop him. Had he been more accurate, the ref would have stopped that fight. But he's not capable of that. He's not like these guys like your Wilders, your Furies, your Autos, who can end fights with accurate shots. So can you learn that accuracy? I think you can, not with gimmicks, just by learning to connect your eyes and your hands at that kind of neurological level. And he's never had to do that before because he could rely on his power. But when he does step back into one of these fights with your Otto Islands, maybe at a push Dillian White, when he steps back into these fights, that's all we want to see. A higher work rate and better accuracy. For me, that's a big win in the next Joshua fight. That's a building block that will take him forward. And I'll say this again, I want to see Anthony Joshua back in that mix. Because the more heavyweights we have up there, the more big nights we have. But he's got to earn his right there. Like, Eddie for so long was telling us this is the best heavyweight in the world, and he never was, and we knew that. We knew that. And it was an interesting take on a marketing ploy. So I don't know if anyone remembers back in 2008, 2009. And they took Drake and they said, we're not going to market Drake to the hardcore hip-hop fan. They'll never take to Drake. And hardcore rappers never did. Real rappers never did. They just never did. He's a TV actor. I mean, he came from relative privilege. He doesn't really rap. He doesn't really sing. He doesn't write his own lyrics. It doesn't really do anything other than perform. And so what they said was, we're just not going to market him to those people who will just detract from him. We're going to market him to the mainstream. We're going to market him outside the black demographic. This is what they did with Drake. They marketed Drake outside the black demographic. And what they knew with that was, it would generate so much noise outside that it would eventually draw the black demographic in. The numbers would just be insane. And so, you know, the black community's need to be involved would draw them in. And... It worked for Drake. If you notice, like nothing that's come out of the traditional hardcore hip hop world has put a dent in Drake, apart from Pusha T exposing that he had a kid. That was what it took to put the first dent in Drake. And that was what, six, seven years after he, he started hitting the mainstream? And so Joshua had a similar marketing approach. It was forget the hardcores. We're selling Joshua to the casuals. Because if we can sell them to the casuals, we can sell them as a brand. Remember the Joshua Project? This is what it was. 
he was the boxing equivalent of Drake. Minus all the sort of image changes and gimmick changes. That's what he was. He was someone who didn't have an identity. He was someone who didn't have a hometown. He didn't have a location. He was just a concept that existed in the world. That's what Drake was. And that's what they tried to do with Joshua. But the thing with Drake is he controls all the variables. He controls whether the album gets made or not. He controls the quality of that album. Joshua can't control everything. And Joshua's in a sport where you have to be able to do the thing. And whatever you want to say about Drake, whether he writes his raps or not, whether he does this, that guy can perform. Drake can perform. Drake knows how to conduct himself publicly. Look, the number of non-disclosures he's had women sign, all the issues Drake has had, and hardly any of them make it out. He knows how to act. I don't think Joshua necessarily does. Drake rarely acts outside of himself in public. But it becomes meme-worthy. And another thing Drake does, which is really good, is he laughs at his own memes. And that, for me, will be the biggest test for Anthony Joshua. When Joshua comes back, can you play some of the memes that have come up in the last seven days and see him laugh? Because they are funny. Objectively, they are hilarious. And that's one thing I love about Britain, and we should all take pride in this. Your first step to rehabilitation is to have the piss taken out of you. Yeah? And if you can laugh at that and go, <laughs> they got me well. Jesus, they got me with that one. That's your first step towards rehabilitation. I don't know if Joshua's got that in him. I hope he does. And I hope he understands that, you know, this is the platform for his growth. But, yeah, if I just point back to the previous episode around the Joshua Project, when you try and market someone outside of that core, you're relying on continued success. The first time you fail, you don't have that core to go back to. You don't have that core that will bang the drum for you. You'll be forgotten. And that's what's going to happen with Joshua. If he keeps losing, he's going to be forgotten. Even if he does keep winning, I don't think you can activate the, uh, the casual market the way you previously did. Because you're promising us this was the British Mike Tyson. He might never lose. He will unify the belts. Road to undisputed. Now you're telling us the belts don't matter. Go back, go back to all of those posters. Road to undisputed. Oh, the belts don't matter. And not one person, not Coogan or Uma said, Eddie, tell me why the belts don't matter. I want to know why the belts suddenly don't matter. Because that's what Wilder said. He said, the belts don't matter. We don't need to fight for the belts. Everyone knows it's me and you. Fury said the same thing. But then they were talking about, oh, no, no, we need the belts for it to be undisputed. Uh, okay. And so generally, that's the mess we're in right now in terms of Joshua. They don't seem to have a clear way forward. And until they do, they'll, they'll be under attack. They're vulnerable. Until they can show us a way forward, that pleases the hardcore for a change because they're going to need the hardcore to bang the drum this time. Eddie's going to have to make a ploy to the hardcore. You can't call them transformer duvet dwellers. You can't call them basement dwellers. You can't call them dickheads. You can't call them these disrespectful terms anymore. Because without them, Joshua's done. He's 100% done. So if Joshua's done, what does that say about this road to Undisputed? I don't think it happens in Saudi. 
my sense, and I haven't spoken to people close enough to it to be definitive here, but my sense is the Saudis are there going, we've, we spent $100 million on a boxing event. We didn't make that money back. Interesting that we've heard no figures on pay-per-views. We've heard no figures on DAZN pay-per-views or subscribers. We've heard no, nothing. Yeah, nothing. Read into that what you will, because... When Eubank Jr. and Liam Williams did 1.1 million, Sky were quick to bring that out. Very, very quick. They tweeted it. It was out on social media. This one wasn't. So that tells you it didn't do its numbers. And so I think Sky will be happy that they're rid of Joshua and they can just sort of bid for any fights that they're interested in. The Saudis are like, this Joshua guy doesn't move the needle. I don't think he does until he fully announces his conversion to Islam. Then he might be like Prince Nassim where he can just pull on millions more people. But until then, nah, he won't. But I don't think the Saudis want to touch big name boxing. They don't, they don't want Fury versus Usyk because it's not, it's not a seminal fight. Yes, it's for Undisputed, but deep down, no one cares about Usyk. Um, remember, a lot of countries in the world are pro-Russia. People don't want to talk about this, but it's true. Most countries at the UN are pro-Russia. In terms of Ukraine and Crimea, most countries are pro-Russia. So that whole political thing ain't going to wash anywhere else. I don't think the Saudis want to touch that. And outside of boxing, I don't think Fury's a big enough name. Fury's like a massive goldfish in a really tiny bowl when it comes to boxing. And Usyk's like a reasonably sized goldfish in a reasonably sized bowl. But those two combined don't make a rumble in the jungle. They just don't. So I don't think the Saudis will be interested. I don't think it's a Vegas fight. So they'd have to do it here. And Frank's already said it can't happen this year. And I think Fury's now realized Josh has messed the money up for everybody, not just himself. But yeah, Undisputed has now become irrelevant. Because you got one guy holding the belts who we think is too good and another guy holding the belts who we're still unsure about. And you want those two to fight? No one cares. The build-up will be terrible. Fury will be talking. Usyk barely speaks English. It's not an event. And I don't think the Saudis will touch it. And I think as much as Frank tries to run around and sell it. He, Frank genuinely believes you can do this without building these relationships. So he'll just run around going, yeah, 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 we've got Fury. Fury's not going to get paid well for this fight. Not for Undisputed. And so the question is, will he just stay retired for the 55th time? I'd rather someone just seize the social media account. I'd sooner listen to Andrew Tate right now than Tyson Fury. Because all I care about with Fury is that he signed for a fight. And if he hasn't, whatever. He's just another citizen to me. But something I'd like to say about the whole heavyweight scene, especially the UK, I know what I've just said earlier, is, is it's doom and gloom because we were heavily invested in some fantastic fights that could have happened and haven't happened and maybe will never happen. But we've got such a healthy pipeline of heavyweights coming through. So if you think... We just take the, the two, Josh, actually take three. Take Joshua White and Fury out. You can even take Derek out. Look at who you got bubbling through. You got Joe Joyce, Daniel Dubois. Incredible world level operators, we can all agree. 
And you look at the young guys coming through behind. Fabio Wardley's learning quickly. He's still got a long way to go, by the way. You know, you know, you see some of the sparring footage and you're like, yeah, they've really looked after him in terms of matchmaking. But he's he can get there. You've got, you know, you've got the young guys coming through. Jamie Shakiva, Fraser Clark. I know Fraser's not young, but he's young in career terms. And these are all guys that will give you entertaining fights. Hosea Stewart is doing his thing on Channel 5. Nathan Gorman's around. Young Courtney Bennett will turn over at some point soon. Um, and you're building up a list of names here. Uh, I forget the six foot nine guy that Martin Bowers has got as well. You've got all of these guys that you can whack in fights now. And they're competitive. Are they all going to make world level? No. But we can have some big men swinging it out. Look, throw Nick Campbell in the mix. I forgot him. There are loads of these guys. Big Johnny Fisher. You know, when Akoli moves up to heavyweight. When Reactpool moves up to heavyweight. We're going to be stacked for heavyweights. And hopefully people learn the lessons of the past. And they say, these guys have to fight each other. They have to fight each other. That's how we're going to make money going forward. That's how we counteract the YouTube phenomenon. That's how we counteract Triller. That's how we counteract the gimmick fights, the, the nostalgia fights, the revival fights. That's how we do that. By letting our flagship division, the heavyweights, set itself up so these guys just fight each other. For too long, we made emphasis on, oh, he's undefeated. But that, we realize that means nothing. Unless the people you beat up are, are, are real names. So I'd like to see all that crop of guys start fighting each other. Let's have Jamie Shakiva versus Fraser Clark early next year. They don't need 10 fights or anything like that. They just, listen, they just need a bit of needle between them. Get them on TV together. Let them talk and go, right, we'll fight. Good fight. Make it for the Commonwealth. Make it for the British. It's a good fight. Yeah. Could you have Joyce versus Dubois again? Yes, but I imagine Joyce is looking at a world title. But all of these fights can be made to happen. And in most cases, these happen without Eddie Hearn. This is what the fans wanted. So let's see what a world without Eddie controlling everything's like. But having said all that, one of the things I wanted to close out on was a massive congratulations to, to all of you. Yeah. Because you're the guys that took the the commentary video I did of Joshua's implosion and you all made it hit what? 1.4 million views, 1.3 million. And here's the crazy thing. If, if you had any idea how expensive it would be to buy 1 million views on Twitter, you'd understand what an undertaking that is. You can go a million strong on instant. It'll cost you about, I don't know, five grand. Right? But that pushes you to the top of the algorithm and mo most social media agencies will boost that way. Very rare that it happens on Twitter because it's expensive to do. So when you see those numbers, you know that's organic. That's people sharing it. And it started with all of you guys. So I, I am 100% grateful. I have no dreams of doing it again. If it happens, it happens. I won't go chasing it. One of the most important life lessons that I've learned and I wish Eddie Hearn would learn this, is you can't chase moments. You can't chase what you did yesterday. And that's sometimes I feel Joshua's career has been a slave to Hearn's desire to, to chase what he did before. So he wants another AJ Klitschko. He wants another moment like that. And so he will take Joshua to where he wants to go as opposed to where Joshua wants to go. 
in life, don't chase moments. It's the same way, like, if you, if you drop someone in the ring, keep doing what got you there. Don't, don't chase that knockout. Do what got you there. And that's, that's what I've tried to do here. I've just tried to stay consistent with my content, stay consistent with what I believe in. And if we get that moment again, I'll definitely seize upon it. But in terms of this backstory of the video, I downloaded it off YouTube and I was watching and I just noticed that everyone was in the ring in formation and no one was doing a thing. And then I just thought, okay, how do I see this as, as me, as Terry? How do I see this whole thing? And that was, I'd love to say it was one take. It wasn't. So the first take I did, I didn't realize how to attach it to the, to the video. So I had to go, I had to go again. And I think the second one was, was better because obviously I had one go at it. So it was, it was a two take job. No, no edits apart from just attaching audio to video, no edits. Um, so for it to have gone viral the way it did, I'm grateful. But what it, what it also did is it meant, and I speak for us as a, as a movement, it meant that we owned the story. Eddie couldn't come out because it's like, well, this thing's doing hundreds of thousands of views. We're getting drowned out. This is going to be the top of the searches for Joshua, the top of the searches for Hearn. And he sat it out for ages. And even then there wasn't much to come back with because people were like, this is a credible assessment of what happened. It accords with what I felt when I saw it. And I say, congratulations. You guys did that. That's the power that as an audience, we all have, right? We can move things when we want to. And that was the one time we were able to keep Eddie off the headlines for a few days and take the win, take the win when it comes. Um, looking broader than that, it shows that there's a market for people to just, just say what's in their heart, say what's in their mind. And no, no, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, so grateful for the additional followers, so grateful for the additional subscribers, just grateful for the, for the bump it gave the platform because you guys understand, no one wants to give this platform the oxygen it deserves. They all listen. Eddie listens. Shalom listens. All they got, they all listen. They may not listen to every episode, as I say, but they listen. They know we exist. So when something goes 1.3 million in the boxing crowd, no one can pretend I don't exist. No one can pretend you guys don't exist. Nobody can. And hopefully they'll start listening because we're here. Sniper rifles trained on all of that edifice, ready to take it down when we need to. God, that might get me banned. <laughs> I didn't mean it literally. But thank you guys. Thank you. That was just like my, my Twitter was hell for about three days. But it was worth it in the bigger scheme of things. It was 100% worth it for, for the growth, the step change. Like you go from having 18, 1900 followers to 4,000 something. You just have a different footprint. You have a different reach. So thank you. Most importantly, man, just keep believing in this because we're going to keep pushing and we're not going to compromise. You know, we, we, we'll hold people to account when we need to and we'll praise them when we need to. I'm so grateful for it. Um, but at that point, I need to go and enjoy the rest of my bank holiday. So you guys keep liking, keep sharing, keep participating. We, we will get the sport we deserve eventually, man. That's, that's the noble fight here and that's what we're going to fight for. And on that note, I'll say take care.